Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, today we are joined on the Autosport podcast by a, by a special guest, another of those drivers whose story perhaps isn't heard enough in, uh, in Europe, certainly. And uh, I'm very, very pleased to have... Uh, have the chance to speak to uh, someone who's who's had a very interesting career. It's fair to say, raced against some interesting people, and uh, perhaps has a, a broader view, maybe, of uh, of motorsport than uh, than some will have. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and my star guest is uh, is Alex Ribeiro, former Grand Prix driver. Uh, he also drove, I think, the medical car in Formula One. Very well known for your your Jesus Saves logos, for example. Obviously, that's uh, that's perhaps what people most connect your your name with, and. Uh, and obviously still very interested in, in motorsports uh, here in Brazil. Well, it's a pleasure to be here talking to people who love motor racing. And just uh, yes, let's talk about the career. Absolutely. Well, we have plenty of uh, listeners who, who love motor racing. I will also uh, introduce my other guest, uh, as always, for our uh, special interviews with Brazilian racing drivers. We have Lito Cavalcanti, long-time uh, autosport correspondent for uh, for many decades, and also a, a podcaster in your own right now this this is something relatively new for you yes it's been about almost one one year doing podcasts and enjoying it a lot it's very very different from what what i used to do before and going to these new electronic ways oh exactly and it's uh, obviously it's, it's portuguese language isn't it so probably a small number of people can listen to it but where where can people find it if they fancy yes listening? yes it's in portuguese you can find it in the in spotify and and I don't, aggregators, I don't know how to say it's aggregators. Yeah, yeah aggregators, yeah. yeah. A lot of them here, it's, it's been, it's been, I've been doing all right. Some people has been listening to it and it's, it's, it's been okay. Also a channel in YouTube then, of course, always about motorsport. 
I know I'd be listening to it if my Portuguese was uh, a little better. It's uh, non-existent, uh, as you know. But uh, well, let's get back to you, uh, Alex. Obviously, you're you're kind of known as someone who who first appeared to a European audience in, in British Formula 3, I think in 1974 you came over. But obviously you, you started out in Brazil some years before that. And it's, a, it's an interesting story how you, how you started out in, uh, in Brasilia. It's not one I'd really heard before. It'd been mentioned in passing just before recording. So perhaps you can uh, explain how it all began for you. Okay. The background uh, of the story happens in Brasilia when they start to build the new capital. And my father was the first medical doctor to go to, to establish in, in the future capital. And there was nothing. It was just a savannah. And uh, in, in, in a few years, we saw a whole town sprout from the ground. And um, in 60, 1960, in April, was a big party of the inauguration of the new capital. And part of one of the attractions of the big party was a race. And I was absolutely, uh, uh, I felt in love with it straight away. I, w- I was only 11 years old when it happens. And I said, well, when I grow up, uh, I'm going to be a racing driver. So that, that was a dream that became a passion and an obsession. And from, but in Brazil, I could only race when I had the driver's license. So that means I would have to start racing at the age of 18 because before that you are not allowed to have the driver's license. So in the meantime, I start racing with a box, a soap box with wheel bearings and, 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 and in any place that would, we could go downhill, I was there already imagine myself in Monza and Silverstone and start reading all about it. My Bible was popular mechanics. Uh, and then we, we developed a passion for it and we, we, we went to find um, information about it. Every workshop which was open, I would go inside and, and, and talk a lot with the mechanics, ask a lot of questions. Sometimes they kick me off because I was too, too, too push in my way of asking questions. And um, I finally got to 18. And and then I had all the information in the world. I knew all the names of the Formula One stars and the stories. And, and then there was better magazines than Popular Mechanics, uh, four-wheel magazines, and then Autosport, the Brazilian version of it. And, and then uh, when I had all the information, I was very frustrated because the information told me that my dream was impossible, economically speaking. Uh, it, it was a very expensive sport. My father couldn't help me that, that way. So um, then I had a relationship with God. So I asked him to help me to, to make the dream come true. And I made a deal with him. If he would open up the doors for, for a career to be a reality, I would be a proclaimer of the gospel. And uh, deal done, in three months, he orchestrated a series of uh, circumstances uh, we, was, we, we read in the Autosport magazine um, um, uh, 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 an article that says, all you need is a file to, to turn up the DK, DKW engine. It was an old uh, uh, three-cylinders, two-stroke engine that equipped a very primitive car. 
uh, here in Brazil. It was an old auto union son. <laughs> and and uh, we had the fire, and we didn't have the car, of course, but the mother of a friend of, uh, of ours, she had a brand new one. So we told her um, that if we could make some adjustments to her, her engine, the car would run better, it would be more economical, and she, she believed us. So we tweaked the, <laughs> the engine, uh, we took the engine off, increased the compression ratio, gave more fuel, and play around with the heights of the in, incoming and outs uh, and, and exhaust system. And, and, and the car became a demon in the night races on the streets of Brasilia. By then, Brasilia was very, it was ready, the south wing of the town was already constructed, but the north wing had all the asphalt, but had no, no buildings. And there was when the, uh, the, our racing practice uh, and development <laughs> during the nights, we would go then at mighty uh, races uh, until the police comes. Then we run from the police. They never catch us. So it was, <laughs> it was but it, 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 the, the, the car became king of the roads and we were very happy. So that experience told us we can do it. But we didn't have a car. Then my father had this, this big accident with his, with his VW Beetle. It was a total loss. So he was he almost killed. He was in hospital. And it took him six, six months to get back to work. It was a huge setback in the family. And one day when he was able to talk, I went to the hospital and asked him the wreckage of the VW. He was, what are you going to do with that? Well, perhaps can put it together to to have a car. The intention was to have a road car. But uh, we, uh, we threw out the bodywork because we were totally lost. We managed to unbend the chassis, build a front engine with uh, pieces from the uh, junkyard from a VW uh, official dealer. So we had lessons of mechanics there with them. And then they allowed us to browse around, so we put the front axle together. And one day it was ready, just the chassis. We put a seat on it, a seat belt, not to be thrown out of it. The steering wheel, normally it rests on the bodywork, but as it didn't have the bodywork, it was just glued to the, the, the steering wheel gear. And then you could do it like that with the... With the, the <laughs> the steering wheel, and it was fantastically fast. So that we 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 thought, wow, if we can get into the race with this thing, we're gonna be looking good because it was very very light. So we re read the regulations, took a very we screen it and look for the loops and everything, and so we said, all right, we we're gonna make something in, on it, just able to. To, to pass scrutineering. And then it goes, so when we come up with the thing on, on, on the great day of the race, the public went wild. They, they, they laughed their heads off. And, and because it was a race in uh, a road uh, street, just closed for the race, there was no qualification. So the, the start was by draw. So we, we had the, in 33 cars, we, we were 33rd. 
And, 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 and I remember the verse of the Bible, that the last will be the first. And I said, whoa, that's it. Today it's going to happen. It. And after a long race, it was a six-hour race, we, we finished second. And there were some Porsches and Alphas and Renaults from, uh, imported from, from France and some very experienced drivers. Actually, the race was one of the race of the Brazilian national championship. So that was, we went from zero to a thousand in one weekend. And, and then we start to, we want to, to, we build a racing shop, a backyard, not, not for racing, at, at, to start with, it was a, a, a repair shop. And then after all, we have this small structure, almost self-sustainable, to keep racing. And so we race for, five years with these things and and then the races become more and more sophisticated in Brazil we couldn't compete and and we have to retire from racing to dedicate to the shop and we became Puma dealers we, we sold the Yamaha motorbikes and 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 there there is this this mechanic that worked for us he was very good we sent him to Yamaha um, imported to 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 be technically trained for doing the maintenance of the bikes, and this guy was a guy named Nelson Piquet. You may have heard of him. <laughs> and then we have a mascot of of the 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 gang. Uh, it uh, the Cumber became Cumber was the name of the work, workshop. Became a point of lunatics, crazy funds about. Speed in cars, and Moreno was was this boy. He was thirteen years old, and his father built uh, by him, bought him a, a mini enduro Yamaha, and he, he 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 would do anything you can imagine with that thing. He's a guy with the what I call the um, cinetic kinetic intelligence. Is beyond. He was the most talented of the three of us. Uh, but he was only only a kid, and, and he became the third guy who made it Formula One with this backyard joke thing. <laughs> well, it is pretty amazing that you have three drivers who all made it successfully in Europe. I mean, Lito, obviously, this was still at a point where, for Brazilian drivers, it was not so easy to to get into Europe. I guess Emerson Fittipaldi had been the kind of first to really have success, and that was just, I guess, happening at that sort of that sort of era a few, a few years before. So to have have three guys who go from this kind of thing to have such success is pretty pretty amazing, really. Yeah, and three penny less guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the the Brazilian guys they they always faced an, an uphill struggle to to become uh, uh, local racing drivers because Brasilia is maybe the center of the, the, the country, but the country is not, uh, the, the main towns are not in the center of the country, are in the east. It's far from everywhere, and it's a political uh, ambience. It's a political environment. It's not an industrial or a financial environment where you could find or you, you could at least try with some possibilities, real possibilities, to, to, to find a sponsorship, to find money, uh, and so they they had to to f first to make a name out of Brasilia. And being here, 
start from zero because they didn't know the, the influential people to reach the, the money, the real money. And all of them got it, more or less, when you talk about money, they more or less got it. I think they went there much more uh, through their determination, a huge determination, because uh, it, was, it was really hard to cope with the millionaires that used to raise here and their relationships here, and they still got it, and they got it more than any, than, than every, any other town, any other bunch of kids. That's what they were. When, when uh, Alex came here, he, it was with that car, the Ugly Duckling, then the, it was named, isn't it? Yeah, the, the Ugly Duckling. Yeah. And then, of course, everybody found, uh, sympathized with him, found it very, very uh, uh, charming, very fast. Oh, look at what this, those kids did. But when it came to business, they were not member of the financial circles. And things were really tough, really tough for them. So how did you, how did you go from this to having the racing career you had? Because I think you... You raced uh, Formula Ford here, didn't you? That was kind of the next step, I presume. Yes. In, in, in 70, 1970, um, they produced 30 Formula Ford cars, replica or Merlin. Um, and uh, I, 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 got, I bought one. I didn't have the money for it, but my, we did a lot of got a lot of friends together, they helped, and my father um, put his brand new VW on, on financing, and then he sold it for me with finance, but I didn't have to pay him. I put the money on, part of the money on buying the Formula 4 car, and so, um, and immediately, then it was the the first time I, I drove a proper racing car because because the ugly duckling was diabolic to drive, but <laughs> it gave us a lot of experience in terms of of go beyond uh, ourselves uh, to improve ourselves to drive that thing. So when well, I, well, I should say you you kind of demonstrated earlier the the play in the steering wheel, yeah, yeah, which was uh, <laughs> not not insignificant. It looked, looked more like kind of meters you're moving rather than a, a few. The ideal, ideal driving position. <laughs> so Any whatever, driving position. Yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> so when I drove a proper Formula 4, proper racing car, it was so easy. Uh, everything worked perfectly, and, and, and the car was well balanced, well, was done, properly built for that. So I was a front runner immediately in the first race, racing against some guys who had been in Europe, did the season in Formula 4, then come back like uh, Francisco Lamirão and Rafael Rosito and, and some very experienced drivers like De La Mare. And um, it was no problem for me to be on their level. And, but I was too, too aggressive, so I, I, did, I had a lot of accidents. And my first season as a privateer was, was fast, but a lot, with a lot of trouble. In the second season, I was spotted by Hollywood. Hollywood was the best organized team in, 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 in Brazil. And they raced sports cars, saloons, and 
many different classes of motor racing. And uh, I was the driver and the supervisor of the Formula 4 department. Then I moved to Sao Paulo and took it priority. And I, I was runner-up with Hollywood. And in the second year, I, I won the championship. And I was the number one of the Brazilian ranking, the ranking of the Brazilian drivers by the Autosports magazine. And um, with that credentials, I got my first sponsors to 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 back me in in Europe. So I moved to England to race with GRD and finished second in the championship. And the following year, I I was on the Marsh racing team. The the works team and I had mighty dices with Gunnar Nielsen and my it was my teammate and fierce adversaries <laughs> I think we, we broke 31 nose cones between me and Gunnar <laughs> <laughs> and we drove Max mostly mad <laughs> about it and he finished first and I was second in the in the in this my second mm. season in a competitive season because driver like I think Danny Sullivan was yes yeah, there as well. Larry Perkins yeah, yeah. was very good too. I think the the four of us were the the most uh, strongest guys in the championship, and I had a mighty uh, um, accident together with Tony Bryce in in Monaco. I was leading the race most of the race, and he he came from the back of the grid, drove all through, and. When when was the last one he had to overtake me was was myself, and I I was determined of, of winning, as well. So we had some wheel bangs, and he ended up on my top and left a, a rubber mark on my helmet, <laughs> tire helmet, tire uh, mark on my helmet, and both of us were out of the race, and there was a lot of bad talk about myself being crazy and idiot and things like that. <laughs> and Autosport published one, one article telling that, calling me the wild dark man from the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's fair to say you, you did have a, a reputation as a very aggressive driver in, in that period, but also a very, a very quick, and I guess to bring Leto in again, was there the, fee, the sort of feeling this time that, that that Alex was kind of the next guy after Emerson at this stage because he was really making an impression in Europe. Obviously, had PK around, uh, starting to come through at a similar time. But uh, the, no, PK came two years later. He was just after, yeah, wasn't yeah, he? yeah, yeah. After, yeah, yeah. I, when he came, I was uh, already in Formula One. When he started in Formula Three, yeah, yeah. That those days, the 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 guys that uh, would in our in our, that were in our vision, in our vision field, were Alex and Ingo, Ingo Hoffman. Ingo was the Fittipaldi's protege. He he was a very good driver here. He used to to race uh, the Division Three that were uh, those uh, real real fast uh, VWs, Beatles, but they were uh, they were prototypes. And they were they they used the, those cars could fly, and he was very good. And then they start here. I believe it was 1974. They started a Super V Championship here, and Ingo's Ingo's car was run and prepared by the Fittipaldi brothers and their structure. He had a 
a former one instructor, but he was really, really good. And then they went, they went at the same days, or maybe Ingo was maybe one year later, Alex, to, to, to British Formula 3. Yes. Well, one year after I, I, yeah, I went, he yeah. was there, yeah. And then there was a, we had a kind of a, a double hope. We, hoped Alex, we had the hope that Alex or Ingo would make it to Formula 1. Ingo had more chances because he was already connected to the 50 Power, the Formula 1 team. But there was a, a, a huge support for Alex because of his background. You know, he came from nothing. He made all of uh, all his career uh, to that point uh, on a destroyed Volkswagen chassis, <laughs> just just out of faith, out of hope, of, out of hard work. And Ingo was the São Paulo guy. Uh, the uh, obviously uh, your your kind of career was tied with March at this point. You you moved up Formula Two with March, and eventually uh, uh, Formula One after having that first outing uh, for, for Hesketh. And I guess almost up until you started to get into Formula One, things were going very well, weren't they? Mm-hmm. But then Formula One itself didn't quite work for you because you never had a really had a decent car. I had one one race for Hesketh a season with March that wasn't much good and then a couple of outings in a uh, in a Fittipaldi that was very much kind of the second car wasn't it so that that was almost, almost seems to be the point where you were just not able to show in Formula One what what you could do so tough times having having done so well up to that point yes uh, I was very su- successful until you reached Formula One I was a front runner in Formula 4, Formula 3, Formula 2. And um, it, it was a, uh, it was very sad because, I, uh, as you put it together, I didn't have a chance to drive a decent car in Formula 1. So I could never say that uh, I would make it or not. Uh, there was I, I didn't have a fair chance to prove that I could do it. Perhaps I could do, but... In, in motor racing, 90% of the result is the equipment. So the driver is just the, between a good and a very good driver, the differences are very, very small. But some guys are winners and, and others not. So I didn't have the chance f- to tell myself if I was able or not. But I can tell you that I drove rubbish cars. <laughs> and, it, and Formula One, you have some classes inside Formula One. You have two Mercedes and two Ferraris and two Red Bulls. And at the back now, nowadays, two Williams. And my cars were type Williams. My place on, on that thing was, was there. So I didn't have uh, any chance to, to go beyond that. So that was very frustrating, but uh, but I made it. <laughs> from what I come from, I, I went far beyond my my dreams, my wildest dreams. <laughs> okay, and seventy seven was the one full season. Yes, as it were. I think you entered about. I think you entered twenty Grand Prix in total, qualified for yeah. half of them. Obviously, March. Yeah, yeah. That were in in that period quite well known for having kind of variable quality. Yeah, even within. 
the, yeah. the cars and, and, yeah. and their team. I think you're alongside Ian Schechter mostly. Yeah, myself uh, and Ian, we, we, we share the same fate. <laughs> fate. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, what, what was that car like to drive? Was it, was it just slow or was it, was it a nasty car to drive it as well? It was diabolical. What happened was in the winter, test for tires, Goodyear chose McLaren, um, Lotus, and Ferrari to do the testings. And they were wide track cars. And Robin Hood figured a way that if he went the opposite way to produce a very narrow car, uh, it, it will be so much faster on a straight line due to less aerodynamic um, thrust that we will blow the the opposition. And this was his his, his belief. And we we tried very uh, different narrow track sizes. One day we were testing. We went narrower and narrower and narrower until one day, one time, I came out of a corner and we were back uh, testing in Newton Park. And then I threw the car to the corner and it, it was in two wheels. So <laughs> I managed to to equilibrate it and land properly. And, and I, I stopped on the pit and said, "Well, Robin, uh, I think this is the limit. This thing is becoming a motorbike." <laughs> and um, when the season starts and we have the tires, the new tires, um, they had very soft walls to to give more traction because those days the Ford Cosworth was too powerful powerful for the for the tires at that time. And one way to make them have a better grip and traction was like something like towards a, a dragster tires, you know. <laughs> And that was really good for the wide track cars, but in the narrow cars like ours, the car was wobbling on straight line. So when we had to apply brakes to it at the end of the straights, I had to allow two meters each side to, to, because it was waving like mad. So we were fighting the car all the time. And, and then he realized the car, the project didn't work. And there was, uh, there was a promise of a six-wheeler as well. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Yes, so that six-wheeler never worked. It, it wants, they run it on a straight line for, to do a commercial for Rutmans with their acrobatic airplanes <laughs> flying upside down on the car underneath it. In, it looks beautiful in the picture, but <laughs> it was never a racing car. Uh, and uh, so we lost one season, so we have to uh, to run the cars from the private years, which did quite well with Brambilla and Peterson, uh, the 76. So we run the 76Bs in, in, in 77, while Robin was uh, drawing the car for the next season. So and Max just grabbed the money from the sponsor, put the cars on the... On the circuits, he never had a, uh, in our contract, there was no clause for performance. So he accomplished the contract, but we have to drive a diabolic car, myself and, and poor Ian Czech there. And, and it seemed that that knocked a lot of momentum out of your career, because even though, even though people know the car's bad, it's very easy for people to look at someone who's at the back and, and you'll see, look at it when you did get on the grid, it was normally 
22nd, 23rd, 24th. So just impossible. Yeah. And Max situation. would tell myself and and Ian that we were we couldn't drive. We were, we were bad drivers. So we were mad at him and and so we, the expression autosports use we moot out between ourselves. I don't know how it what it means, but it was a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look back at that season, do, do any of your perform? Do you, are there any race weekends where you thought actually I did I did really well, even if you finished twelfth or something or retired? Now you also lots of retirements. Do you do you look back and think actually there were times where you did something pretty good with with what you had? Well, the pretty good was finished eight in two or three races. Nürburgring, Canada, and another one. But the points was only for the first six, so we never score a point. And my salary was a thousand dollars per point. So <laughs> that's that's just that's, that's, it. that's the salary. That's <laughs> not the bonus. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a great deal, one. Not a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> and it did seem because uh, it not that uh, the the momentum out. You ended up going back to F two with with your own car, didn't you? Yes. The, uh, the Jesus uh, saves racing team. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think I think you chose your your win at the Nurburgring as kind of the, yeah. the best race of your yeah. life. Obviously, a famous, was a famous the, ra- the race of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What was what was well, so great about that that race particularly? I, I, I lost my sponsors. Uh, all the money I made in ten years, I, I put on the Jesus Saves team, and uh, uh, we had one car, one engine, two sets of wheels, and very 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 low budget. Uh, the engine to have was a BMW, and I had a heart engine. Brian helped me a lot, and Brian Hart. And uh, so when we when we park our our van at the paddock of Nubugring, besides the Arctic glories of March or Rondenis and the French guys and all the teams there, uh, our, our transport was a laundry van. It was so short that the car would travel on on the to to fit the car inside the the back of the van it, it had to go 45 degrees like that with the front wheels on top of the cabin of the driver and uh, it comparing the our laundry van with the 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 trucks uh, for me it was the vision of david against goliath <laughs> and uh, bmw won First, second, and third uh, in Truxton and in Hockenheim. And when we get to Nürburgring, the third race of the season, um, they prepare a big demonstration. They had helicopters to to film the race. In, that, in those days, that was quite something. They were doing big pro- uh, promotion video for the BMW superi- superiority. And we blew the shows. <laughs> we won the race, and, and it was a very fierce battle. Uh, there was lo- lots of details about the battle, and and it, we we won the race, and that was uh, a true victory of type of uh, David against Goliath, and and that was the race of my life. 
Uh, but ultimately, although you were able to show what you could do there, it didn't really lead to to much. You had a couple of outings in the Fittipaldi yeah. the following year, but again, yeah, sh- not, not a good car. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yes, it, the Fittipaldi team was was right back in the in the normal grid as well with the exception that the full, the one or two years later Emerson managed to finish second of the Brazilian Grand Prix which is remarkable for for the the level of comparison of the technical side of Copa Suca, Fittipaldi and Ferrari and, and, and McLaren and Lotus they, they didn't have the experience and the background they had but those days, Emerson was struggling. It was my my the, the year I drove for March. Emerson and I were were suffering companions at the back of the grid for the whole season. And I guess this was just the time when Nelson was coming through. Yes, had come into Formula One. Yes, yes. Ensign briefly, yeah. and then yeah. Bradman. I guess he was the guy that then yeah became the the Brazilian in in. In Formula yes. One, when I did my last race in Formula One, Nelson did his second or third in, in that dec- because at the the end of uh, of the season, uh, when Emerson invited me to drive, it was seventy nine. Nelson graduated from Formula Three to Formula One to do the last three or four races. So, and we we were together the end of my time and the beginning of his time in Formula One. We should say, Lito. I mean, in your opinion, do you think Alex was a driver who could have achieved something of what someone like Nelson did, had he had the chance to actually drive a, a better cars in Formula One? I have no doubt about it because uh, mainly from his uh, his Formula Two days, uh, his team were, were was something to watch carefully because. Well, if you could blink, you couldn't see anybody anymore. It was such a small uh, group of persons, but so so much determination, so much work. And, well, he had a, a heart engine. The heart engine was, no, no, was not comparable to BMW. And they were up there. There was a, a season in, in Argentina. They came also, the, the cream was here. Keke Rosberg was racing with Fred Oper. They also had a hot engines, but in a Chevron car, and it was such a it was a small car too. And yeah, and in Hocken, in in Nurburgring, Jochen Maas drove as well when one of the one of the Fred Oper's cars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they were well. It was it was real what you can call a motor motor show a spectacle. It was. Sensational. There was a, a corner over a bridge in Mendoza. Well, you had the, the corner, it was a, a high speed corner, really high speed corner. Some of them could do it flat, most of them could not. Uh, it was the rail, the tarmac, and the rail. And beyond the rail, nothing. And those guys were doing it on four wheel drifts. You know, taking a speed that you just couldn't believe your eyes. But still, they didn't win there. If there was any climb, they were done. But it was something that if you put an eye on that, you wouldn't forget. And so after this period for you, 
uh, Alex, you you can your kind of career certainly European wise seemed to but well, basically came to an end. So what why was that? And and presumably obviously you came back to to Brazil. And I know you d- did some racing in uh uh here, but it, it seemed to be that that kind of you pursued that dream you'd got there, but you knew that there weren't going to be more opportunities. Is that fair? Yeah, I I still run my brother in Formula Ford, younger brother, with the Jesus Saves team for one more season. And then I got the place for him to drive for the Royal uh, Works team. So, and I was there kind of helping him at the beginning of his career. But it didn't work well for, for him as well. So I had to come back, and it was very frustrating years of my life because I was depressed. All the dream, the dream didn't come true. So I had to deal with that for for a while. Uh, and then the good Lord moved me from the mud of depression and and self-pity to drive another machine called Atletas de Cristo, which Christians in sports in Brazil. And then I went into this, and I'm still doing it until today. And, and then I was linked more with football. And some of the guys that we disciple end up in the Brazilian national team, and they invite me to go to the World Cup. Well, you're a World Cup winner. Yes. <laughs> so what I, I didn't achieve being world champion, I was there when Brazil won twice the World Cup in in 74 in the USA and 2002 in Japan and Korea. And so we had a great time. It was a totally different story. But in, f- in fact, I was fulfilling my part on the, on the deal with God and still doing it until today. Well, well, that's an interesting, interesting part. So obviously, it's it, like I said at the start. You are kind of famous for being the in Europe the Jesus saves guy, if you like. Which <laughs> I know sort of reduces you something, but it, it's it, you are an unusual figure in that regard with the, the sort of the strong faith and effectively your uh, you, you work sort of as a religious leader here, and that does seem to have been an important part of your racing career and your and your life. But it is unusual. Um, or seems unusual, should we say? Because I always think being a racing driver is always about being kind of in control of your own destiny and everything. And how, how do you see how that all sits together? And why is why is it so important to you? Well, the the biggest difficulty I have in the second career was to allow God to drive my destiny because I want to be the driver. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, being a racing driver, you have to be in control because if you lose it, it's bad wheels, uh, bad news if you lose control. Uh, and um, I'm learning until today, but um, I had great joy doing it. Uh, I mean, when when we we won in Japan, Japan for the second time the World Cup, I said, "Well, Lord." You can take take me home because I fulfill my part on the deal. <laughs> uh, the, um, the idea was to be a proclaimer. I thought I was going to make it being world champion, but it didn't happen. So that was part of the frustration. I thought the vision was dead, dead. But then I saw it being rebirthed 
and be alive in those days when I worked with the Brazilian national team and they were the best in the world. So, and I wrote a book about it, who won the World Cup. And it was very interesting. The experiences we lived there was so real, so concrete. It was amazing. Because people think uh, the spiritual issue is something for crazy guys or for weak people. And the cause and effect of a, rela of a relationship with God, it's, he is very precise in the way he dealt with, with, with those who believe and practice it. And so it's very, very rewarding. And you did bring some of this to Formula One later on when you, were, when you had a few years when you were, it was a medical car you drove, wasn't it? Um, and you also also seen references to the fact you did some, um, gave people a little bit of guidance in the paddock, that kind of thing. There, how, how was that responded to? And uh, was, was I guess that was just an extension of what, yeah. what you were doing. It was an extension of of what I would do, what, of what I was doing, and was also the most difficult, because in Formula One people are very materialistic, very very down to earth. And there is no not much space for it. But I learned a lot about it, especially with Professor Watkins. He was quite a character. I have. I learned a lot, a lot with lessons of life and with his ways to to see things. And, and he was a very wise man, and it, it was a great experience. So we were team members of the Salvation Team in in a double sense. <laughs> yeah, of course. When you had the you were in the car when you had the famous incident with Nick Heidfeld, of course. Yeah. <laughs> He took my door away <laughs> and left one wheel there on, on the process. Yeah, fortunately, you haven't quite started to get out. <laughs> Actually, I had started to get out, but then the car started to move downhill because it was on a slope. So I have to put it in parking and then come back again to open the door. If it did, if didn't happen, he will took me away because... Uh, uh, there was very little space where he chose to go between the place where I was and, and the guard the guardway. It was just place for one car. He he would have gone through, but, but then I opened the door. So. For, for those not familiar with the incident, yeah. it's well worth looking up. It's uh, in the the kind of bottom of the S's, isn't it? It's yeah. Lagos. Yeah. And, yeah, it was a blind corner. Yeah. yeah. The, the the flag was there already, the, the red flag, but um, the, he didn't have the time to decelerate because the first co uh, leg of the S, the, the arm goes, they were double, double height, so it was a blind corner. So when he saw what was going on, there was Bernoulli's car, and I was in front, I parked beyond, in front Bernoulli, so it was not... To a, because I saw some of the guys, they they were like arrows without without the <laughs> the tail, you know. They when they came down, they were like that. Schumacher managed to go through the right. Most of them went to the right, and and and. But when Sura drove it to the right, the car went sideways. He he corrected when he catched again. He was on the on the on the left. So he had that was his only way to go through. So it was quite an experience. 
I think it was one of the best opportunities I had to go to go to heaven earlier, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the good God didn't didn't want me there yet. So I was very glad to stay here to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> and you should say you, you did uh, you did do a little bit more racing in Brazil, didn't you? Um, on on and off after you you yes, went back, I think yeah, you uh, yeah. uh, even doubled in Formula Three again a little bit, and yes. I think you raced in the the, the supercars. I think it was cool, which always sound like a. Yeah. I know Lito's told me about that in the past. Sounded like a, <laughs> a particularly mad <laughs> form of racing. Yeah, I develop a technology that when you spin a car, it, it st- the engine stalls and you're out of the race. What I used to do when I had I lose it, I would put it flat out and spin it once or twice until I see it pointing the right direction. And <laughs> it causes some havoc. Uh, so, but that's some of the stories. <laughs> and, and did you get some satisfaction out of watching the success that someone like Nelson Piquet had, and also Roberto Moreno, who we last heard you mention as uh, the sort of the mascot, the, uh, the the thirteen-year-old, and he, of course, did make it to Formula One as well. He had a podium in in Japan, a second place, race for Benetton. So, also another successful driver who had a long career in the, the US as well. Yep. So I feel like uh, I opened the, the way for them, and and they I was very very happy for their their success, for for the story. The story is very rich, from the coming from nothing to make it happen. So and of course the good Lord above, I credit to him lot of the success and he's so good that uh, he provide not only for me to make my dream come true but for many of those guys uh, not only the ones who make it to formula one but all the my partners and cumber it was a school of life our workshop so we learn a lot not just to drive but to manage a business to to have this alternative uh, way of thinking one thing if we cannot go this way there is an impossibility impossibility there we will find an alternative to make it happen so it was really really good I, i don't regret a single single moment and and the hardship and the 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 bad results and the even the the time of depression was was very good for teaching. Uh, so you get much stronger after being through hard problems. And I, I I know some some guys that things happened to them so easily that they did not value what they conquered. And when you have to struggle a lot to to conquer, to conquer something, you have a greater sense of achievement. Well, it's interesting what you say about how it was after the kind of dream was was over, and often this is something that's not talked about with with drivers. We see drivers have they have careers, very, some very good drivers. They go up the ranks, and then they they'll kind of disappear. They'll disappear from the the pages of Autosport. We won't, and then you might hear of them later. You hear them doing some job or other, but that period of kind of coming to terms with that dream being over. Um, and we see this in a lot of sports, actually. It, it's, it's it's perhaps something that maybe drivers need to be a little bit more prepared for, shall we say, 
because it can just end like that, can't it? With, with pe- people not having the the opportunities or the money to to continue. It's very important to to learn that there is life beyond motor racing. <laughs> and there's a, a great uh, sense of achievement. And Lito, just to kind of bring bring you in, how how, how is Alex seen in 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 Brazil? Um, obviously, he's a you know well known racing driver. Is it, if if I if asked a, a Brazilian motorsport fan about Alex Ribeiro, what what would they say about him? What would they remember most? There are many ways Alex is seen. One of them <laughs> is that he was completely crazy driving, <laughs> completely <laughs> crazy. Maybe it's the face that made him break so late as he did, <laughs> and to try things that one usually wouldn't try. But the, the, now for seriously. With a lot of respect, Alex is not a kind of. He's a real model of uh, something that you could say you can get it. It's up to you. You, if you really try, if you really want, uh, just go for it, and you're gonna reach it. Uh, and not only for this, he was also in an in a environment that wouldn't take it so seriously as it should be taken, his face, uh, his, <clears throat> his mission of talking about God, about religion, uh, and in, a, in, in an ambience that wasn't prone to it, that wasn't, uh, wouldn't take it seriously, wouldn't give it, at first, the respect it should have had from the, the very beginning. And he got it, he did it. No doubt, he's a model. It's interesting what you said there, kind of partly joking about the, the faith to be giving you the, giving you the willingness to be an aggressive driver. But people, for example, always said this about Senna, that because he also had strong faith, he felt he was invulnerable and always protected, etc., which obviously... It's one of those things that people often say because of because of his his fate. But I presume that's not really something that's in your mind, is it? You you drive the way you drive because that's how you get the the speed out of the car. I doubt, I doubt if you were jumping in a car thinking you could do anything you wanted, and just because you're a man of faith, you were you were safe. Or or does it work like that? Well, uh, the uh, to succeed in any sport of high high performance. Um, you have to be uh, very eager. You have to be really have guts and go for it. And I was very competitive from start with when I remember when I was a kid. In every games that we, we play with the kids around, I always want to to win. So that was in my inner nature, competitiveness, and uh, that was what drove me. Uh, but uh, one thing that made a difference uh, when I was in my second season or in my first season in England driving the GRD the man to beat was Brian Hanton he, he was the guy he was driving for the works team at March and he was winning everything but I started to, to challenge him and uh, I remember in Newton Park, I caught his slipstream 
And when I was put side by side to overtake him, he pushed me off the the circuit. So I went to the grass and managed to get back, but then he disappeared, so he was first and I was second. And after the race, I remember I, I changed myself. It was, I cooled down the adrenaline, so I went to him and said, hey, Brian, uh, are you sure about your eternal life? And it was him and his girlfriend. And they look at me, puzzled. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean by that? I said, I mean that I am sure about my eternal life. If you do that to me again, I will not back up, and we will have the biggest accident on earth. If I die, I don't care. I go to heaven. Do you have the same certainty? They both look at me. <laughs> Speechless, turn, turn their back and disappear. <laughs> Next race in Silverstone, uh, I was again on his slipstream, came out to overtake him. He, he did the same trick. But the Silverstone straight was very wide. So I went off, but there was a, a steel tarmac. Went around the big signs. And from there, I drove straight to him. And he back off. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have the great, the biggest chance. And after that, he started to to respect me, and we became very good friends. Until today, he used to call me teammate, teammate. <laughs> and it was an experience. That I was I was prepared to go. So when Eddie Shiver uh, did the, something similar to me. Uh, he caught my slick slipstream and the long straight at the Nubuguri, the race of my life, and put side by side, and and we were this this is from from me to you in two different cars, and I say hello to him, and he didn't look to me, and he started to move me to the to the edge of the of the circuit, and I went, 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 until I ran out of space, and then I drove into him. So and we, we knocked doors, uh, wheels side sideways, exactly, because if you do it in the proper way, one, one go up, so we touch parallel. And then he moved a, a bit, so we, entered, we came to the end of the long straight, there is a treble S, treble S, with three legs. And um, we used to do it flat in top gear, talking about 280 kilometers. Um, but the, the way to do it was one to try to make as much straight as possible, because it was a very high speed corner, uh, touching right, uh, left, right, left the apex, and tried to do almost a, a straight, but there was room just for one car. And then I looked to him again, and he was pretending he was, he was not seeing, seeing me. He was 19 years old, very young and brave. And then I said, Lord, receive my spirit now, because I, I will die, but I will not back off. <laughs> so we went there, both of us, side by side. We touched a few times, 
no, not, none of us did, um, went airborne by the grace of God, and, uh, but I was on the inside for the last corner and took the corner and win the race. And him and Shiv, uh, and Hosberg was in, uh, at the back of, of our gearbox, so at that line, the, they op- the three of us came almost abreast, abreast. And I was, I won by half a car. I had the Cheever and Rosebag, so that was the race of my life. And um, sometimes I was prepared to pay the price. I was not afraid at all. To, uh, if the worst come to the worst, for me, it was not the end, but the beginning of the eternal life. <laughs> I guess that's almost something you can use to your advantage. Because yeah. if other drivers think you are yeah. mad, <laughs> for want of a better word, I'm sure some did. But you know, that's a, that's a weapon, isn't it, in a, in a way as well? You want to make? Yeah, it was a good point. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, just. Uh, Lastly, on this question of, of faith and racing drivers, it's not something that many drivers talk about nowadays. Sometimes we hear Lewis Hamilton making some references to it, and there have been drivers with uh, in Formula One in recent years with a with, with a clear faith. But it's uh, it's interesting. It doesn't seem that it isn't something to, that crops up much that people talk about. Do you think it's something that those drivers who who do have that don't feel that they can talk about it, or is it just it's a personal thing they don't need to? Well, the the more people are comfortable with the life down here on earth, the less interested they are in life in the future. So, I had a very interesting, interesting, understand, interesting talk with Max Mosley once in Monaco, and he was teasing me. Uh, when we have dinner there, uh, and uh, and, I, <clears throat> and he asked me some questions, deep questions about it. So I told him, and he said, "Well, I don't believe it, but I reckon that if the roof fall down on us here now, you will have one more chance than me." <laughs> 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 And I think it's more or less like people think. People think the the death of the body is the end of the line. But um, I believe human beings are they're four-dimensional guys. They have a, a body, a chassis, a computer, which is the brain, but also he has a heart, uh, where the emotions come from. People go. People like motor race don't like football or something like that. Uh, and and uh, the heart um, give taste to life. Otherwise, it will give, give colors to life as well. Everything would be black and, or, or white or, or gray, but the emotions give give colors to it. And, and the fourth dimension is the spiritual spiritual dimension. So, if we are built on like image and likeness of God, like we, we were taught. Uh, the spirit is our main dimension. But having said that, the four dimensions, they must, they're not uh, um, divisive dimensions. They work all together. They are in, in, intrin- intrinsicated, 
intricated and integra integrated integrated yeah. in integrated and like a four four cylinder engine if if the four one of them is faulty you go from a to b but not so so quick or not so <laughs> properly you know and i think having said that human beings have those four dimensions the leading one is the spirit and then it the spirit will promote the the balance between reason and passion and both of them will control the body and 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 when um, you develop it and it was working better your four cylinder <laughs> life uh it it gives you a stability and and uh, strength to carry on in difficult and hard times and overcome a lot of things well that's probably something that's there for some of these uh the drivers today even if they don't talk about it a, a great deal a great deal and it's uh no it's fascinating to to get your insights and uh to learn a little bit about your career so thanks very much alex ribera and also to lito cavalcanti <laughs> Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I love the playoffs. Anything can happen. But the best part? It's like bonus football. And bonus football means betting bonuses with Gambit DC. For a limited time, you can get boosted deposits by 57% up to $1,000 on the Gambit DC app and up to a 57% multi-sport parlay boost at Gambit DC retail locations. It's the most exciting time to be a fan. So make your play and get the home field advantage with Gambit DC. Limited time offer, terms and conditions apply. Please buy responsibly. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.